In this episode of How'd You Get Here, we talk with Trinity Heinemann. She's the owner of a tea company and a successful entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy this episode. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is an amazing show. You know, throughout my life, I've always kind of loved talking to people, mm-hmm. as you know. Yes. The other thing we should preface here is that you're my big sister. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to like broadcast that. Like, oh, my well, big sister. Whatever. You bring be it up every time we're in public hey, I settings. Said big sister, not old sister. <laughs> okay. I don't know which one is more insulting. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Burn. Um, uh, so anyways, you know, I was thinking about, as always, you know, I'm planning out the guests for the show and thinking about who would be you know, good, um, to interview and that uh, people that we can kind of gain some knowledge from. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there. I mean, I've had, uh, interactions with a lot of different people who have wanted to, you know, make their own cookie dough or, mm-hmm. you know, they have a special recipe <clears throat> that their mom gave them for chili and they want to bottle it and, sure. um, you know, create a product and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people have those ideas of, you know, something that they're really good at maybe, whether mm-hmm. it be a food product or whether it be uh, an actual physical thing like a necklace or a bracelet or something like that. And I think what's cool is nowadays, you know, sites like Etsy and stuff like that has really right. made it... Um, feasible for someone to take their idea and create it and then get it out there to an audience and sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, when I was thinking about the different types of people that you know we want to have on the show and, and interview and gain some knowledge from, obviously you came to mind as you have a, a tea company where you sell loose leaf and concentrates. Um, and it's it's been a grind, you know, but it's mm-hmm. also... I would say uh, very successful. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're selling tea all over the United States. Mm-hmm. You uh, have some h- big, you know, contracts with some really big brands that sell your that sell your product. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think that uh, that you're a great uh, person to to you know have on the show. Oh so, well, hey, thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and so, as as always, I like to start with people just kind of sharing. Uh, their journey, sharing where they came from, sharing, uh, you know, what their life was like growing up. And uh, so kind of give us, you know, a little bit of that, that story of, you know, where you came from, where you grew up and, sure. you know, your life all the way, you know, through college. Yes. Uh, so I grew up in Colorado, Denver, Aurora, actually a suburb of Denver, and uh, just kind of grew up in a pretty fragmented home. Parents divorced. Uh, mom wasn't in the picture. Uh, and uh, at 17, I found myself on my own and didn't have a place to live. Uh, and a dear family took me in and I moved to Wisconsin. Uh, so once moving to Wisconsin, I decided to head off to college, and that's actually where I met my husband, Jeremiah. And we traveled around uh, the U.S. for a number of years with jobs and um, extended um, university, and we ended up in Texas. Uh, so we lived there for um, about four years, and around that time, I started getting a little antsy. I had really set myself up into this place where I had 
three kids, a spouse. I stayed home with the kids. I kind of had built the dream that I had envisioned wanting as a kid coming from a home that was, um, you know, fra- you know, just broken. Yeah. So as a kid, then you did you ever have any entrepreneur endeavors or ideas or thoughts or was that really nothing like? You, yeah. you know, you hear the story of like yeah. that guy who was like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, shoveling snow at, at five years old <laughs> and I had a lemonade stand making a thousand dollars a week, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had I had no long term ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> I was very social and outgoing. I uh, had before the acronym was used, a serious level of FOMO. So I okay. always fear of missing out. Uh, I, I was voted in high school as most likely to be on an info commercial. Uh, that was the extent of an my... An info commercial? <laughs> yes. An infomercial, as they like to call it? Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, I my aspirations. I wanted to be a cross between Oprah and Perry Mason. <laughs> and for all you young people out there who don't know who Perry Mason <laughs> Which is, is, like nobody, <laughs> unless they watch. Like I don't even know if Nick I at Night still a channel. Thing yeah, it was of- Aurora. It was Denver's Channel Two. Uh, played Perry Mason. It was black and white. He was a lawyer. But he just kicked ass every time. He could figure out who killed who every single was, time. Was Perry Mason the 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 grandpa on uh, Princess Bride? Oh man, I don't know. Okay, I have can't to remember. Google that. Or or was it Andy Griffith? What wasn't Andy Griffith also in like a mystery? Andy Griffith had the Andy Griffith show. No, but then when he got oh, old, that was Madlock. Okay, yeah, was this, that was what it was? <laughs> this was before Madlock. This was before. But Perry Mason was my hero because he seemed to be able to master the arguing. You know, he could just argue his way with facts, you know. And Oprah was giving away free stuff all the time. And she was solving world problems, too. So I had high aspirations. You're like, listen, I want to argue a lot and give away free stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's that's really funny. So Perry Mason and Oprah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I, I actually haven't ever told anyone that. I know. I don't think I, I've ever heard you say that before, but <laughs> the secret is out. It is. He wanted to be a black dude. <laughs> he was he was white. Right, but Oprah's black, so. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you were a poor white girl who wanted yeah. to be a rich yes. black man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, okay. So as a kid, you it's really it was like you never really had entrepreneurial no, spirit. No, I, I, I did not. Retain, Even though you were probably surrounded by lots of people who were entrepreneurs. And, yes, and like we that. did have family members that were entrepreneurs, uh, and uh, I just my mind never went that far. It was always what is the immediate. Um, Uh, I really enjoyed working out as a kid. I paid for my own membership to the gym. I uh, really enjoyed being in choir uh, and and enjoyed hanging out with my friends. So I just, I felt like my childhood was very narrow. Um, We didn't read a lot of books growing up. I don't, I never remember anyone reading to me. So this, I, I, 
my friends who have grown up in homes where they were especially avid readers, I feel that their worlds opened up far bigger than their living room. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a suburb of Denver, and it stayed that kind of narrowed view of life. Uh, I never, ever thought I would even leave Colorado. I think Mm -hmm. I just always thought I would be living there. Um, And then we were really involved in a church um, growing up. That was something that was very important to our family. So outside of church, social, and then those few extracurricular activities, my world was um, very small. Hmm. Interesting. So then you go off to college, and when you go off to college, um, did you have any thoughts or ideas of what you wanted to do, or was it just kind of like, I just yeah, want to I get think, an education? I think, no, I don't even think I really wanted to get an education. <laughs> <laughs> It was just the thing that everyone else was doing, and I had FOMO issues. So I was like, I need to go to college. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was undecided in Mm. what I wanted to uh, get a degree in. Uh, I think. Uh, I think because my childhood was so messy, I think as I became an adult at 18, what I was really desiring was stability Mm. and an unconditional love that I wasn't feeling that I received at home growing up. Uh, So whatever avenues I needed to take to create that world for myself, I was willing to do. Mm. And I, I honestly could not articulate that at 18. I I really wouldn't have been able to tell you back then, like, I want security and I want to feel loved. But ultimately, that's what I was searching for. Mm -hmm. And at 18, I met um, a guy who, uh, you know, I guess within that realm of wanting security and wanting love, I equated those two things. I wanted to get married, which would provide security, and I wanted to have kids, which would provide that unconditional love that Mm -hmm. I was searching for. Uh, So I was hard, fast looking. Who is a guy who is willing to get hitched (laughs) fast? (laughs) Get married and get laid really quick. (laughs) How can we make this happen? Uh, So thankfully, I found a willing party. had an agreement. I had an agreement. I want to get married. I actually dated a guy in college who told me on the first date he never wanted to have kids, and I broke up with him. Just I was like, like that. we can't Listen, date anymore. I know. You look like Brad Pitt. Yeah. And you're amazing, I'm, but, yes, but <laughs> my ovaries are calling. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, uh, so I got married really so you got young. married at 19 then? 20. 20 years old. Yeah. Okay. So got married wow. at 20. And then, but sort of seriously dating like at 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, I did not find that odd at all. Like, again, it was very this driving force within me to create mm-hmm. this world for myself. And then at 23, I had my firstborn. So um, by the time I was 28, I had already been married eight years and I had had three children. So at 30, I you crushed your goals. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I didn't know they were goals back then, but they were goals, right. essentially. Like, uh, so at 30, I found myself feeling really lost. Mm. Like, uh, I, I, people laugh at me when I say this, but I really did have a midlife crisis. At it, 30. At 30. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to leave my husband. I was trying to figure out, like, 
how I would do that and not leave my kids. I, but then I was frustrated with myself. Why am I feeling this emotion of like is wanting to escape? What am I wanting to escape from? Mm-hmm. I just, I, I wasn't able to articulate the emotions that I was feeling and I was looking for well, you, I mean, physical things. Like, I mean, you think about at that age, you're, you're so young still. I mean, yeah. even in my early twenties, you know, I got married at 23. Um, I, I still didn't know who I was, you know, oh, I was still trying totally. to figure out who I was. And so you throw in kids and a husband and all these things. And right around 30 is, I think, where you kind of start to figure that out or, or start that journey, at least for me, Yeah, was, oh, okay, this is who who I am. But yeah, I mean, that's crazy to think, you know, how entrenched you are in life at that point when you have that midlife crisis, you right, know, I mean, right. So much, um, at, so much, I, I mean, I, this sounds dramatic, but so much at stake. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. I growing up in a family that was divorced, I never wanted to have my children experience that. Mm-hmm. And yet having thoughts of that made me feel immensely guilty right. and then questioning what are my reasons for wanting to end this relationship? What, you know, I just nothing kept coming up as equaling, you know, Jeremiah was a wonderful spouse and, um, you know, he loved me deeply and loved our children deeply. There was nothing that stuck out that made me give me any reason to put into action these, these weird thoughts. Um, and so around that time, my youngest was getting around school age. And so Jeremiah, my husband said, you know, maybe you should start looking what you're wanting to do with your life. I mean, you know, you've kind of, you've birthed and nurtured these little children and now they're in school. And, uh, so that became a lot of self-reflection. What do I want to do? What, what, what could I contribute? And I think honestly, the emotions that I was feeling at 30 really came down to wanting to contribute to society in some way. Mm. Um, you know, birthing and nurturing small children, there is this feeling that you are um, part of something bigger than yourself. But once my kids got into school, there was this hole of not really knowing what my purpose was anymore, and yet feeling very passionate about wanting to be part of something bigger than myself. Mm. And I think that that is the essence of all humanity. All of humanity desires to be part of something bigger than themselves. And when they're not contributing in that way, many times they fill that void with self-destructive actions, self-destructive addictions. And I think it can happen to any one of us at any time in our lives. It's Mm. not only a certain season. I think it can, it can really, uh, you know, we talk about the actual midlife crisis. And I think that a lot of individuals have that because they've been doing that same career or, you know, raising Mm -hmm. this family and they get to this place in their life where everything's on autopilot, you know, and they're no longer feeling like they're digging deeper. They're contributing in a deeper way. It'll actually be interesting to see how society evolves and changes because, I feel like a lot of my friends who are in their mid thirties, late thirties, aren't even married yet. You know, yeah. they're, they're just oh, starting yeah. that journey. Yes. And so it'll be interesting to see like, what will a midlife crisis look like 20 years from now? Because, you know, most of my friends as well, they don't stay at a job for more than three or four years. You know, they're right. always looking for the next thing and right. leveling up and doing all this stuff. We have a lot of different values than people used to our parents and grandparents who would, you get a job for 30 years, you do that, then you retire and, you know, live your dream. And so it's a lot of that monotony and, and same, but 
I feel like the millennials in the next generation are a lot different than that. You know, they don't have that same type of yeah, they don't idea find... of their life to be mapped out right. in that way. So it will be interesting to see, like, well, what is that going to look like? What, what would a midlife crisis look like for a millennial who is, you know, getting a new job every four years and maybe doing something he's passionate about? And maybe we'll have less Corvettes yeah. and, you know, fake hair. You know, I mean, I that'd think... be a good start. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not against Corvettes, but <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> not very practical in the U.S. when the speed limit's 55. Exactly. But you know, but yeah. So, anyways, that, I, anyways, this is a side note because I was just thinking it is interesting because I think a lot of you, know, you hear about the midlife crisis thing because it is that whole I th- I gave up everything and I focused yeah. on a career and a family and all these things. And yeah, a generation that. that did the status quo. I yeah. think you have a generation that did the status quo and they've done everything they were told would equal success and yet they find themselves just one day not feeling successful. Yeah. But yet everything around them is telling them they should be feeling that. So that's very conflicting emotions, I'm sure, that become very debilitating. Yeah, yeah that's for interesting. Some. Yeah. So anyway, so... Around 30. Yeah, so around 30 after my midlife crisis, um, Jeremiah said, well, maybe you should just find something. Just find a job to do. Your husband. My husband. For those of you who don't know who Jeremiah is. Yeah, Jerry. Jer. Hopefully he's tuning in right now, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But um, so he said, why don't you find something? And um, I mean, that's really honestly when the business was birthed was... Mm. uh, having that emotion of wanting to contribute and having the season where there was the time and energy to create something that, um, that I would find fulfilling. Hmm. Uh, so then did you go through your mind at that point? Like, all right, I could jar peaches. Or oh, totally. Like what are my skills? What are my skill sets? <laughs> it's like, I can peel a mean potato. Yeah. I didn't finish college. Uh, surprising. <laughs> Like, okay, well, I didn't miss out on anything, so I'm out. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I came to do what I needed to do. Right. Um, You conquered college. Yeah, by getting married. Uh, And, uh, uh, yeah, so really with no actual skill sets on paper, uh, it was a little bit of, of searching of, okay, what am I good at? And I always, I mean, we grew up in an Italian family where... you know, we always laugh that at breakfast we're thinking about what's for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> we travel. We travel around which restaurant spots we're stopping at. Uh, See, I think that's just innate. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> My wife is always like, <laughs> she's trying to tell me where a location of somewhere is. I'm like, what's around? What's, she's like a Taco what? Bell. I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so. Definitely the food, the food industry, I was Mm. leaning more towards Uh, when when we were first married, we had a lot of company in and out of our house. And around the holidays, uh, Jeremiah's family had decided they wanted to kind of do a low key Christmas and just wanted the family members to kind of create or make something. This was long before Etsy. It really was, everyone was in school at the time and they still wanted to kind of give gifts, but Mm -hmm. be a little bit more practical about it when everybody's in school. Uh, So that was really the time that I created 
this concentrate. It was a chai. I had worked at coffee shops and boutiques or coffee shops primarily. And I always felt that the chai was overly sweet or underflavored. And the people that I had on my list that year, uh, I knew loved chai. So I just started tinkering around in the kitchen, created something, gave it for Christmas gifts, and they loved it. And then it just kind of became a tradition when family or friends were in town, I would always make this concentrate. Mm. And that was one of the things that I thought of when I was thinking, okay, what could I create? What what would be Honestly, I think I thought what would be the easiest, really. I mean, (laughs) you know. Little did you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. (laughs) Yes. Um, So created the, uh, so then that's what, I mean, I, I, being that we come from entrepreneurs, I knew the ups and downs, not definitely to the level that I've experienced them, but I had an awareness. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to a friend of a friend who owned his own business and asked if he would kind of mentor me through the process of writing a business plan and putting something together. Uh, And thankfully, he was very willing to help me out. Uh, And so that kind of began the, the slow process in August of 2013. So... You start making this concentrate for holidays and giving it as gifts and things like that. I mean, it, it, what made you think that it was that good that you could bottle it and sell it and people would buy it? You know, I mean, yeah, you know, you, you, people are like, oh, this is my famous casserole. It's like, this is pretty good, but I don't know if I'd, you know, buy this. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's so, true. I mean, what, what in you, when you thought, of, you know, started having these ideas that you're like, oh, yeah, like... If I'm like out of all the things you do really well, yeah, this one thing is uh, heads and tails above that. Yeah, uh, I think I think I just had tasted a lot on the market, mm-hmm. all the options that were out there, and uh, I do think that I have had a good. I think that there are some talents that are inborn and are natural for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that I always had a little bit of this innate ability to kind of see within the food industry uh, trends that were coming uh, that weren't quite here yet Mm -hmm. that I attached myself to. And so this concentrate just seemed not only was it really good, Mm -hmm. but it also seemed that it would be fitting into a market that was evolving where people wanted ready to drink, um, available now, you know, Mm -hmm. they're traveling a lot more, um, us, especially is traveling a lot more. Uh, they are filling their schedules with more and they want these simple things in life to be exactly that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, coffee is simple, but you have to make it. Right. And sometimes that's not simple for some people. Uh, so I just I just saw tea as being the same, that while it's the number two um, consumed beverage in the world, um, it's right after water. It It oh, is wow. a beverage that in the U.S. I think is still, you mm. know, up and coming and moving. So a lot of that just I just really innately just really saw and thought, okay, I think I have a chance with this company to Mm. build something that hasn't been done before. Um, And while 
I really liked my chai, I didn't want to pigeon my, myself, pigeonhole myself creatively. So I saw other chai companies that they're just stuck making chai all over again. Right. Maybe they add chocolate to it or they decaf it. And I just felt that I would find myself getting bored pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so when writing that business plan, I decided to kind of go the route of being just a tea concentrate company. So being a company that would have a variety of teas that people mix with a milk or milk substitute. Um, I've always enjoyed milk with my tea. So, oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so that was August of 2013. And uh, actually, yeah, let's see, 2000. No, that wasn't. That was that was August of 2012. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So made it an LLC. I wanted to make it legit. Uh, made it an LLC. And then we in the midst of all this, decided to move back to Colorado. I really wanted to get back home, um, moving all around over um, a course of many years sometimes can draw you back to where you came from. And yeah. I I really loved growing up here. So that, and it's one of the greatest places. Agreed. In the United States. But <laughs> so when you start making your tea and, and uh, I'm assuming you started kind of small batch in your kitchen Right. Bottling it yourself, you know, kind of doing all that. When you first started, did you essentially just fill bottles up, take it to I mean, where were you selling this? And like, how are you getting it out there, you know, in the beginning? Yeah. So we had set up a co-packer, which if you're not in the food world, I mean, I had to Google this to find out what it was back in the day. Thank God for Google. Yes. Uh, so um, within the food industries, you have what they call a co-packer, and that really is a person who is has all of the qualifications and certifications by the state and by the FDA to produce products that have a shelf life. Um, and any grocery store, any... Um, <clears throat> any uh, boutiques, any place where you're wanting to sell your product, having a co-packer is verification for them that the process was done correctly. And I wanted to provide that to my customer base. So I hooked up with a co-packer in Colorado prior okay. to us moving here to produce our tea on a large scale. Uh, that didn't go well. The whole batch completely went rancid. Oh. And the guy ended up just not just over... Uh, was a little overconfident that he knew much about bottling beverage. Mm. So really, so really, I mean, talk about an epic failure right away. Uh, yeah. And that must have been super discouraging as far as... Yeah, and what do you do with cases upon cases of rancid product? Do you get a refund for that? or No, he didn't give me a refund. It... I, I think I didn't have to pay. I think I paid for the uh, workers that day. Okay, but you all. I mean, but you obviously had bottles and stickers. and yeah. all these other pieces of that product that went that you couldn't reuse. Yeah, or... the labels were bubbling too. So then we had problems with the label company. Uh, uh, Definitely when talking with new entrepreneurs that are looking to start a business, I cannot stress enough that discomfort is the price of admission <laughs> to a meaningful life. <laughs> um, 
nothing will usually go as planned. Mm. And there has to be an ebb and flow to that. And that was a really hard, hard lesson for me to learn with the business. It's very, having children, it's very similar to having children. Mm. And and to where you just don't know what you're going to wake up to. You really don't. And you have to be okay with that. You have to come to a place of like real peace about being okay with the unknown. And that was just the beginning of multiple, multiple, I can just share so many stories of things just not working out. Hmm. And I think that's truly when people begin to give up uh, on a business idea is when it gets, we say when the going gets tough, right? And that can become, yeah, it's such a cliche, but... (laughs) Any business, any successful business would attest that they were doing it despite the success. And I think that you have to really, I cannot tell you how self-reflective I have become starting this business. Hmm. Really sitting down during some really dark seasons and asking myself, why am I doing this? Hmm. I mean, you're self-inflicting pain upon yourself and you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And and always at the end of the day, I just am doing it for a much deeper reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, th- I think um, Sprite Lorino says every great story on the planet happened when someone decided not to give up, but kept going no matter what. Hmm. And I, I just cannot emphasize how true that is, that, um, that uh, you just you have to make a conscious decision that you believe in something much deeper than being the next five, you know, the next, uh, what is it Fortune called? 500. Fortune 500, yeah. you know? I mean, you just, you have to have some deeper reasons for doing it day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what the journey has been. I mean, we're in 2018, and we just, we just had profits this year. Wow. So we've been pushing hard for five years, not seeing a return on our hard labor at all. (laughs) And we see small little glimpses, right? You get these little teasers of like, you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think that's definitely, I've seen entrepreneurs ruin relationships around them because they are so focused on getting their company to be successful. And one of the things that I've been very sensitive to is surrounding myself with people that I can go to and and talk to about these obstacles that I'm facing and making sure that I'm not um, hurting people or hurting relationships because I have this ideal of how I want this business to go, Mm -hmm. that you sacrifice to a point and then you have to ask yourself, is my sacrifice affecting the people right. around me negatively? Right, because what good is it if you get to the top alone or if you're wasted relationships and all that stuff around you on the, you know, right? that fell you behind. So so you start, you know, essentially just the grind. I mean, it's, it sounds like that you had a lot of roadblocks, a lot of different things that you had to overcome, Um but you just continue to grind, continue to push yourself. Uh, and do you think that that is because you had a deep belief in what you were doing? I mean, I guess that would be the only thing that makes sense to me, that you, you're doing it because you, you know that this is 
as difficult as it is, you know that this is the right thing. Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the philosophy of our company is constantly striving to do what's good for the whole. Hmm. And, you know, we teach this to our kids and while they don't practice it daily at home, I hope one day that they will live it out, you know, but at, at, on just an elementary level, really understanding that on a deep level that, that sometimes what is really good for you is not what's good for everyone around you. Mm. And sometimes we, we call it sacrifice, right? And there can be a negative connotation to that, like, oh, sacrifice. But really, if we make those conscious choices to do what we think is good for the absolute whole, mm-hmm. that we in turn benefit from that. Yeah. And, and for our kids talking about that, all the time that, okay, while yes, it may be good for you to get X, Y, and Z, it may not be good for everyone else in the house. It may be good for you to take the last full glass of orange juice, but it may not be good for everyone else. What if we split it in thirds, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think just our business model and how we run our business is that it's not just about tea. You know, what we are constantly striving for is to build a company that is going to be successful because it contributes to the whole. And and that's where the passion comes on my end is wanting to prove that the model that has been used for so long that we're, you know, you just are constantly climbing that ladder while you just shove people down, mm-hmm. um, that that doesn't work good for the whole. And that you can build a very large, successful business with that model. And there are companies doing that already. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think about, uh, you know, I've heard recently the story of uh, Patagonia. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, other brands like that where it's like, oh, my gosh, like they really broke the mold and, and went against everything you hear about how you start a company, how you run a business. And they're right. wildly successful. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think... Um, just to answer your question, I think that's been the deeper um, drive for me personally is wanting to contribute to society something that I believe is going to be good for everyone. So in 2015 or 2016, sorry, we were seeing that our wholesale customers were uh, purchasing their concentrate from us. They were purchasing their loose leaf tea from a second company and possibly their herb- herbals from a third. So we just found opportunity to um, acquire a small loose leaf tea company locally here. We purchased them and now we're able to offer all things tea for our wholesale accounts. But in part of my reason for wanting to do that and add that to the business is that I want to begin to be invested in individuals' lives that go beyond the U.S. So these farms that we are working with, um, there's a number of them that provide schooling for the children Mm. of the families that work the fields, and we can contribute to their well-beings. Um, So there's just, again, just broadening that worldview and finding ways to contribute. Um, I can't remember who said if you feel that you have to be giving back, you didn't give enough. Mm. And I really like that, that as our business grows, that we're not looking to give back, but while we are working, we are constantly giving in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, um, as this business continually grows, that's what I find ourselves coming back to and asking ourselves all the time. Okay, how can we be giving more? How can Mm. we be 
in enriching people's lives more. Um, and that's where it's just feeding my passion. You know, I love that. You know, I think as a child, I, I loved pleasing people in a negative way. But I, th- you know, what do they say that your strengths are sometimes your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, as growing as an adult and really finding that I truly enjoy making people happy and I truly enjoy helping people, what are the healthy ways that I can do that? And that's where I have found deep, just truly um, deep contentment mm. in that I'm able to do that. Wow. So you, uh, you know, essentially during this whole time, you're, you're grinding, you're working hard. Um, you know, what do you see the, the future? Like, where do you, where do you hope to take the company and, and grow it? Um, and the other question I had, I was thinking about was when you made that, that decision to acquire that loose leaf company, was that scary decision? I mean, was it, something that you felt like, okay, this is going to be a bigger undertaking or it did just feel right. Like it was the next thing to do. And did that kind of, yeah, you know, did, a lot of the things with our business. Yeah. I think a lot of the things with our business have happened truly organically. Uh, I have no business background. I have no degree in business. I don't think business-wise mm. um, either. I, I think that I've grown that muscle, uh, strengthened that muscle a little bit. But for the most part, I'm running my business based upon the principles that I live my life. So it seemed like a very practical move to me. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't like you had sat down and said, all right, next step is to acquire a yeah, company. No, it just I saw a need within our wholesalers and how could I fill that need? Um, and and around the same time, it seems to me when you start speaking things out into the universe mm. that, excuse me, things seem to come your way. And around that time, we met somebody who owned this small tea company and was looking to get out. And so it just organically happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that about the business. Uh, uh, my husband, Jeremiah, came on to work for the business uh, about two years ago. And he is very different from me. He would be under the the idea that to have those plans set out mm-hmm. um, and I appreciate that in him because I think there is a level. Yeah, there's a place for that. There is a need for that. Yeah. There's a lot of businesses that flop around because there there is not that grounding. So uh, I would say that um, it, it's incredibly helpful to have that. But in this case, it was something that truly just happened organically. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So when you were... Doing this, did you ever find that you had a particular mentor or somebody in your life that kind of helped you through this? Or was it a lot of Googling or a lot of, you know, Yeah. Uh, well, library time? probably what I have, yeah, a lot of library time. Probably what I have going for me uh, when it comes to running a business, um, I don't really have an ego with the business. Mm. Uh, I don't. Like, you know, I had a, I, I, my high school grades were not at all anything to brag about. Didn't finish college. Academically, that was not a model that fit well with me in learning. I struggled in that environment. Uh, so I had no pride with my education. Mm-hmm. So asking for help has, is not a difficult task for me when it comes to the business. Probably I have areas of my life where it's hard to 
to ask for help, for sure. But when it came to the business, I was so eager to just learn anything and everything. Um, so whatever whatever level of business that we're dealing with, I'm, I am searching out individuals that I trust and have had successful businesses and asking them loads of questions. Um, I'm rubbing shoulders with other entrepreneurs that um, are in the same place or a, a little bit ahead and having long conversations. So it has always been a collaboration, I feel, mm -hmm. that it's always it's taking a tribe to get this business moving continually forward. Uh, so I, I don't think I can think of one particular mentor. I just think that I'm constantly putting myself in places to where I can be reaching over and asking, hey, can you help me understand this? How does this work? Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot of reading. I love reading. So I'm picking up anything and everything I can get my hands on. Um, and not def not believing all the books that say master these five habits and then you'll be successful right. or what the most successful entrepreneurs do every morning. <laughs> all those six. Like, they, listen, I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. Yeah. Those people don't have children. <laughs> they're billionaires <laughs> who have personal chefs <laughs> and a trainer. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So what are some, what are some good resources uh, that you'd recommend or, you know, what are some encouraging words you could give to somebody who's coming up who is in maybe in a similar uh, space or has an idea of wanting to do something? You know, what, what would you tell them? Man, what would you say? Hey. Sure. Well, always right away I'm this. thinking about. <laughs> Go to <I'll> college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, always what I'm uh, – Literature-wise, I feel like always what's the last thing I read is on the forefront of my mind. And mm -hmm. I just got done reading this amazing book by Susan David uh, called Emotional Agility. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, but she has this uh, phrase, or um, she I'll quote her. She says, courage is not the absence of fear. It's fear walking. Mm. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? Yes. So I... I definitely would recommend any entrepreneur, if they're in the same place or if they're thinking of starting a business, uh, to just recognize that it's easy to look around. One thing I've had to become more and more intentional about is n putting, you know, just a, a, a little bit of um, some space in between my business and these other businesses that are being successful. You know, we did a Kickstarter campaign in 2012. And I didn't get funded. And around the same time, there were five other businesses that I was actively watching. That, that were in a similar space. That were in the similar space and did receive their funding. Hmm. And all but one of those is not in existence today. Interesting. And so I think you just have to, it's, it is so easy for, uh, for us as humans to compare and to be saying, why isn't my business being successful in this area? Why isn't? And I think it becomes a, a true distraction from the work that is at hand. Uh, so I've slowly really grown in that area of pushing myself not to compare myself or my company. Mm -hmm. I think Ryan Holiday, I'm trying to think who he quoted, um, may have been Peter Thiel, uh, who said something, you know, there is no competition, you know, there's no competing. 
um, that you're constantly working towards doing what's really successful for your business. Knock out the competition. Create your own. Mm. Uh, so I think for any business owner starting out, it would be just have a true passion and belief in what you're doing. Um, and the businesses that just decide to quit, there's so many reasons why they decide to do that. Um, but I think that there's a large percentage of them that truly didn't believe in the product and didn't believe in why they were doing it. Right. And you can only fake it so long. I'm, I've been in some dark valleys that I never thought I would get out of. But because I believe that the company will be successful, is successful, and will continue to grow yeah. to the level I want it to, uh, every day is a new day. Um, and there are some times where in the pit of the valleys where I think there is no return, that the next day there's an opportunity that I never knew were coming. Mm. But it came because every day I showed up and I was working. Right. So I think for any person wanting to start a business and and some people wanting to give excuses on why their business didn't work out really should evaluate that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense. And I think... Um, I think you're right on when you, when you say, you, you know, for me, I always say expect the blessing, right? Because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And if you can make it through today, you don't know the opportunity or, um, you know, great thing that, that tomorrow holds. And, and I've seen that throughout my life as far as, uh, you know, where am I going to get, you know, a client or work or business, you know, especially when I was first starting out and I, there'd be no hope. Right. And then the next day someone would call and be like, Hey, you know, we have 10,000 bucks for this project. You know, can you be a part of it? And it's like, Oh, if I would have right. stressed and worried and feared constantly, I would have never seen that, you know, as a blessing or yeah, I that's a lot of wasted you know, energy. Yeah, exactly. Save your energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Save it. Um, um, what's your, do you remember your first job? Yes. What was your first job? I sacked groceries at King Supers. Look at that. Yeah. Come full circle. Yeah. Now we now you sell, sell my product <laughs> in King Supers. There's some young entrepreneur bagging your tea. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's so I talked incessantly to every customer. How's your day? Yeah. What are you up to today? That was like the worst oh. place to talk to somebody. As like I'm sure the fellow employees were like, "Shut up!" Oh yeah. Oh my my boss. There's somebody waiting in line, and you're talking to them. And I'm like asking what they're doing with this chicken in their cart. <laughs> Ooh, you know, <laughs> rosemary and lemon go really good with chicken. Oh yeah. <laughs> that mm. is very sad. Um, <laughs> what about uh, your first car? Do you remember your first car? It was a blue Chevy pickup, okay. really big and bulky, no pickup? air conditioning, Dude. roll down windows. Yeah. Nice. That sounds amazing. It did the job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a truck. <laughs> um, what about if you could learn one skill that uh, you currently don't have that you could learn? What would that be? Yeah. I would really love to learn how to dance really well oh you don't know how to dance <laughs> just kidding i know you don't <laughs> <laughs> put your hand in the fan <laughs> in the <laughs> okay only our childhood friends will understand that um yeah i don't know how to dance as good as you and yeah. so we're I, we're just all in the shadow <laughs> of your amazingness so listen i can't i, I uh, i'm all right at dancing yeah <laughs> 
Um, what what about uh, your favorite drink? Your favorite beverage? Yes, uh, other I, than your own tea. Yeah, uh, I tend to lean towards uh, a good rye whiskey. Oh. Yes, that would be my favorite. How sophisticated of you. Well, thank you, you know. <laughs> yes, one ice cube. Uh, I'm right. good. Uh, favorite uh, favorite band? I have so many. Uh, you know, top. They're playing at Red Rocks. I have to get tickets. Okay. You already know this one. You make fun of me. The Avid Brothers. The Avid Brothers. Yes. Is it Avid or Avid? It's Avid. Okay. Everyone, it's Avid. Okay. The I know. Avid, Avid I mean, Brothers. I don't know them personally, but I know them as personal <laughs> as I can get. So I don't have too many crushes out there. Really, I don't. I really don't find movie stars that entertaining. Yeah. I'm a bit bored with them. I can't even remember half of their names. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, but I do really like the Ava brothers. They're okay. amazing. They're poets. They're modern day poets. They just they speak what I think in a much more eloquent way. Are they? <laughs> uh, are they brothers? They are brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, Trinity, this has been uh, a very enlightening. Um, interview and i really appreciate you coming on well thanks so much for having me this was so much fun yeah um so i want to wrap up um and just encourage everybody if you are a entrepreneur if you are somebody who is working your way up in the corporate world if you are an artist uh creative um, you know, continue to push yourself, you know, be a part of something that you believe in. And um, as dark and as difficult as times may be, if you continue to push, if you continue to, to work hard, uh, it's inevitable that you will be successful. You know, um, there's that saying that, uh, you know, you're only five feet away from gold. You know, there's that fable of a, a farmer or or a, um, a miner who had worked this field and and he gave up and another person had bought that field and then just five feet away from where all the digging was happening there was you know a, a gold mine or a diamond field or whatever it was and it goes to show that you know if if we just open up our eyes a little bit and if we look outside of you know where we currently are and we hope and we believe that we're super close to success. So thank you so much for your story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the, the success and uh, achievement going forward. Thanks, Mark. You too. All right. See ya.